Welcome back to the second half of season four of the Taproot Podcast. I'm Liz Haswell. And I'm Ivan Baxter. In the last episode of season four, we talked with Scott Barolo, who had tons of great advice for potential graduate students. In fact, he had so much good advice that we split our interviews with him into two episodes. If you want to hear more about who Scott is and about his paper using Mastermind to teach scientific reasoning, go ahead and listen to the last episode. In that last episode, we discussed the process of deciding to go to graduate school and then applying to graduate school. In this episode, Scott talks about the next steps, doing the interviews and eventually choosing a school. He says that graduate programs will tell you who they are, and we discuss how to hear what they're saying. And with that, let's get to the episode. Okay, so you send in your application to five places you're very excited about. You've written this beautiful essay uh, or two essays, and you you get a bunch of invitations. This, invitations are probably coming in like December, right? I won't. I can't speak for all schools, but in our case, we make our invitations in December. Okay, and then people are interviewing in January and February, maybe into March, but probably not interviews are, they're, they're amazing, right? I mean, I remember all of my graduate school interviews, you know, which were well over a century ago. I, I remember them all vividly because each school had such, or each program had such a unique personality and it was so present, like so obvious what each school had to offer, what its personality was, what the city and the geography was like. And it was just such an exciting, I remember it just being such an exciting time where I felt like I could picture myself in each of these places and what, what things would, would be like in each, in each place. But it's also so stressful and you don't really know what it's going to be like and you're not sure what to wear or to say or what each interaction with a faculty member is going to be like. So Scott, demystify that whole process a little bit for the listeners. Okay. Well, first, I'd like to comment on something that you just mentioned, Liz, I think, which is so important, which is the school and the program is going to tell you who they are when you visit. And you should listen to that because you, it can't be hidden. That The nature of that program, the culture and the climate of that program is going to come out during the interview, and you really should pay attention to that. And don't focus on just trying to get in, because half of that interview process is them, eva- them evaluating you. The other half of that process is you evaluating them. And right. don't forget to do that. First, to get technical about it, what happens at Michigan, at least, is that when we invite you to come interview, in our case, we'll give you a choice of two dates, usually, that you can choose from. And we ask you to name uh, a few faculty that you would be interested in meeting during your visit. And then we will do our very best to schedule interviews with them. In our case, you will meet with five faculty for half-hour, one-on-one interviews. Um, and in almost every case, it'll be somebody that was on your list of faculty you wanted to meet. 
So you'll know before you arrive who those faculty are. You'll have plenty of advanced notice. So you should look them up on the web and get a sense for what kinds of research they do. Maybe read some of their work and think about what kinds of questions you might want to ask them. The interview itself is, uh, in most cases, it's unstructured. You just come in for a chat, but a lot of the time is spent on either the recruit talking about their research, the faculty member talking about their research, or small talk. So the proportions of those vary widely depending on the two people involved. And there are usually, there's usually no structure other than we're going to be talking about research a lot. Although I have had interviews where we never got around to talking about research because we just got uh, the conversation led to other areas, and that's okay too. So you need to be prepared to talk about your own research. And if you've done multiple types of research over the years, usually we'll focus on one, and it can be the one that you're most interested in. Usually I'll ask, which is the one that you'd most like to talk about? So be sure to brush up on that, especially if it's been a little while since you were doing that project. Not just the technical details, although those can be, those can be important, but why were you doing those experiments? What was, the, what was the question behind the research program? What, what was interesting to you about it? And ideally, you'll get into what you learned from that project, not just what the results were, but what you learned from it. And that can be something about cilia, or it can be something about how you learn or how you deal with failure in the lab or how you work best with other people. But ideally, you're learning things because that's, that's who we are trying to recruit, people not necessarily the most knowledgeable people, but the people with the right. with a great capacity to continue to learn. For curiosity, right? Yes, I would say uh, curiosity is a big one. I, I tend to feel that one's a little overrated personally because I feel like that can be gamed for, for a, a number of reasons, Interesting. I think. that It's it's a little overrated. Some people, I, I think people have a, a variety of different motivations for wanting to do research. And I I, I don't want to be too judgmental about which of those are good reasons. I'm always looking to see what the student learned from any any experience. The, it's all about the capacity for learning. I like that emphasis because I feel like the capacity for learning, everybody has access to that. Right. <laughs> that, and there are so many ways to demonstrate it. There's so many avenues to explore that capability. There's so many lines of conversation that you could have about it. I should also say that in my program, just to pick an example, it's a, it's a pretty highly ranked program and we do not have any kind of cutoff in terms of students should have a publication or anything like that. Most of the students that we accept don't have, aren't an author on any, on any papers. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about like what not to do in, the, in that one-on-one in -on -one interview. Mm -hmm. It's scary to go in when you don't know where it's going to go. And actually, to be frank, when I'm conducting those interviews, I am also like super nervous and scared. Me because too. <laughs> I'm never sure what I'm supposed to be doing either. Like, am I supposed to be asking this person about their research? Am I supposed to be telling them about my research? Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to be selling them on the program or deciding if they're a fit? And I guess the answer is like all of those mm -hmm. in 30 minutes. What do the students want to not do in those meetings besides fall asleep? Yeah, and that's actually an issue because 
energy management is is kind of a challenge on those interview days. It is a draining process. It's intense all day, and you really do need to pace yourself and make sure that you eat when you get an opportunity to eat or manage your metabolism however works best for you. But there is a danger of crashing in the early afternoon for sure. What to not do. Some mistakes I have seen are students who try to play it cool and act like like they're not very interested. I think most of the time that's probably people covering up for feeling insecure. But whatever the reason, it's not a great look for an applicant of any kind, certainly not an applicant to graduate school, to seem as if you're not really that into the school or the idea of doing research. I've seen students who, again, they're probably insecure, but they they put off a very arrogant vibe as if they basically understand how this whole biology thing works. And they just need to get a few more papers and get a PhD so they can move on to get their to get their Nobel Prize. Maybe that's true. And in some cases it is true, I'm sure. But, you know, as with any kind of hiring process, people are looking for people they would enjoy working with. And the kind of solitary, misunderstood genius might be really good at research, but they are not, generally speaking, enjoyable to work with. So that would be a a tone to avoid, I would say, in general. At least that's true here at Michigan. We don't go much for the the lone genius. Yeah. I mean, I think that in terms of preparation, like beforehand, knowing your own stuff, but also, I mean, ideally having looked into the person you're talking with enough that you have at least one question in your mind already can be very helpful so that you know you're going to ask them something if 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 the conversation gets off the rails yes Uh, or i tried to do this for uh, faculty interviews as well when i was interviewing for faculty positions and was meeting a lot of people absolutely it's a great idea to have a question in your back pocket it doesn't have to be a great question you don't have to ask that question if another question occurs to you I would also say you can write that question down. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think less of a student who had who referred to notes when they were asking me questions about my research. That wouldn't bother me Not at all. all. If, if a student pulled out notes that they had prepared to meet with me, I would be very <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's actually, you're right. That's a good sign, yeah. not a bad sign. So don't worry about that. You may not need to refer. To, I mean, if you're like me, just the act of writing it down is going to help you remember it, right? But it's, there's no shame in pulling out notes, at, yeah. quite the opposite. Yeah. So prepare a little bit for asking your interviewer about their research because, well, I'll tell you at least uh, th- the secret of my personality is I love enhancers, DNA sequences that turn gene expression on in beautiful patterns. And if you think enhancers are interesting too, I think you're smart. And that's just yeah, and every <laughs> every PI is exactly the same. Yeah. If you're interested or curious or just have a question about our research, like you're basically saying you're interested in me. Mm-hmm. And you like me. You really like me. I am obviously yes. the most fascinating person to myself. So <laughs> <laughs> But but not just but not just that. It's not just that you like me. It's that you have recognized how interesting the coolest thing in the universe is. And only a smart person would, would recognize that, you know? Yeah. So, um, and you don't have to know anything about it. It can be a very basic question. But just the fact that you're asking a question about it says, this person gets it. Yeah. Yeah. They get how cool, the, they don't get the topic. They get how cool it is. If you 
get the opportunity to do a mock interview before you start going out on grad school interviews, uh, grab that chance. Uh, some programs will do that. I know some prep programs, for example, will do that for their students. If your program doesn't offer it, a mock interview is just you sitting down with a faculty member or somebody pretending to be a faculty member and doing a fake interview. I think those can be incredibly valuable for getting over the nerves and just helping you to visualize what that what that conversation is going to be like. It is so hard to imagine until you do it. So one other uh, option for mock interviews might be your scientific societies. I know ASPB has a lot of networking opportunities at its annual meeting, and I certainly think you could probably have uh, find people who would be willing to conduct uh, a mock interview at, at the annual meeting. Yes, yes. If you're currently in a lab, you can ask your current research mentor to to do a mock interview with you if there's no other resource for that. Or you could potentially even do it with your peers, other students. You could set up fake interviews and just ask each other about your research. Just get used to talking about it. You'll start to realize where your the, the weak spots in your knowledge are. But actually, the, so those meetings are very important, but there's so much more that goes on in an interview. You should be spending a lot of time with current graduate students. And that is right. also an incredibly important step for your decision less for the the grad school's decision. Okay, so there's a lot to say about interactions with the students. So yeah, Ivan, I'm really glad you brought that up. Try to pay attention to whether the, the program is trying to put you in a room with students or trying to keep you away from current students, right? Mm. That tells you a lot about what they think, how happy they think their students are. Talk to those students, ask them questions. It's all part of the evaluation, I will say, because some programs ask their student hosts what they thought of the inter of the uh, the recruits. So when you're talking to a current graduate student during your your visit, that's an interview. Good point. And so ask them questions too. Be curious about them. Find out about their research. Ask them what the what the culture and the climate is like at that school. They're much more likely to, to give you a, a straight answer. They're very very likely to give you a straight answer. But this is also challenging for somebody who's an introvert, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who doesn't want to go to the party after the dinner, who really wants to go back to their hotel room and gather energy for the next day. How, what would you say to somebody who knows they could, you know, gain this like extra advantage by participating in every event, but also knows they might pay for it and, and like really don't want to? I don't think there's a huge advantage to those students who choose to stay up late and go out drinking or whatever with the student hosts at night. I, I don't think that has a big influence. I, I would focus on if you if you have limited uh, uh, social energy to spend, I would focus that on the times that you're in interviews or between interviews when you're talking to students. And then if you need to uh, go back to your hotel hotel room and cool off after dinner, Go ahead and do that. And I would also say for some of these things that you want to learn, you are not limited to the interview time, especially if you can make a contact with a student, get their phone number, get get uh, a way to contact them so that you can text them and set up a time to chat later. Really want to get those kinds of things to get an idea of the culture and and, and what's going on and how 
their, not only the program works, but those individual labs. Because while you are choosing a program, eventually you are going to make a choice of a lab. And that is so, so critical to being successful. If we think about the interactions you're going to have with grad students, postdocs, the non-faculty, what are the three big questions or four big questions that you think you should be asking them to, to really understand the program and the lab? It's a good question. But jumping back to the faculty, I do think it's you, another question you can always ask is what's, what's your lab culture like? I think that'll tell, that That's can tell you a lot one. about a, a PI. I think where do students from this program end up is a very useful question, too. Yes. Uh, where do students from this program end up is a good question to ask. I think if you're, look, if you're looking at a highly ranked program, their placement rates are going to be very, very good. I, I, I don't want to reject the premise of your question, Ivan, but, I, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm hesitant mm -hmm. to to tell students what they should be looking for because I feel like students come into grad school wanting a lot of different things. There are some students who come in, they want to work in, they want to work in a top lab on a hot research problem. They want to be left alone to do research as long and hard as possible and not have to think about anything other than that. And if that's what works for them, I guess that's fine, right? Other, for other people, the relationships and uh, communication and mentorship are much more important, often much more important than the topic of research that the student is working on. That's valid too. There are students who come in and they want to work someplace where they feel confident they're going to be treated like a human being and not, not ostracized or uh, treated with aggression or hostility, and that's totally valid too. So, I mean, I see all of those and many more um, in terms of the goals that you know, the, in terms of what students are looking for in a grad school. And so what, what I would say is whatever is nagging at you, whatever question is it is that you really want to ask about that graduate school, that's the question that you should ask. Is there anything else that we want to say about the interview process before we talk about deciding? I, I would just like to add that I, I very often hear from students who didn't get an invitation or didn't get an offer wondering what they did wrong. And Unfortunately, I often don't have anything to tell them because we are we are forced and, and most programs are forced to turn away many students who would have done great in that program just because of scale issues. We can only make so many offers and we can only make so many have so many interviews. So if you don't get an interview from us or some other top program, that doesn't mean you didn't belong there or that you weren't good enough. And I wish that weren't the case, but that's that that's the system that we have. You mean, are you saying some parts of the process are just stochastic? I, don't, I, I wouldn't say stochastic because we do look at every application. We're not able to draw a cutoff line between the students who would succeed in grad school and the students who would not succeed. That's not the decision that we're making. We're not able to make offers to all the students who would succeed in graduate school. It's the decision we're trying to make. Yes, but we're forced to accept a much smaller number of students than that. So it's not fair. 
to any of us. <laughs> but, but, but the important thing, I think, from the applicant's perspective is if you don't get an interview or you don't get an offer, you cannot interpret that to mean that you weren't good enough for that school. And I can say that with complete confidence as somebody who's done admissions for, for, for many years. Now, it might be true, right, depending on the individual case, but you can't conclude from the fact that you didn't get an offer that you're not good enough. That's a good point, Scott. Let's go to the last step, which is actually deciding where you should go to grad school, assuming you have multiple offers. And my first thought would be, hopefully, as, as Scott said, the grad programs told you who they were in the interview, and maybe there is a clear fit for you, and you should do that. But um, that wasn't the case for me. I ended up flipping a coin. <laughs> what, what should you do after the interviews to help yourself decide? Or the criteria you might use. Yeah. One suggestion I would have is to take notes during your visit. There's, there might be a lot. It's, it's very intense. It's, it's emotionally draining. It's mentally draining. And it'll be easy to forget a lot of little things that happened during the, if you're like me, it'll be easy to forget a lot of the little things that happened during the interview just because you're mentally tired. Not, 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 not just the interviews, but the whole experience. And so I would suggest writing down your impressions as you go. And you can refer back to that later to get a sense of what it felt like to be there. It's not just a matter of getting into the quote unquote best school. Very often people are deciding between two schools that are both perfectly capable of providing a top shelf research experience. You know, they've got the great faculty and, and good funding and a good, good research environment and all that. So when you're deciding between schools that have adequate resources to do research and great faculty and other people to work with, then it, uh, for many people, comes down to the environment and the, the climate and what it feels like to be there. And I, I would just really want to tell applicants that it's okay to listen to that voice that's telling you this is not a good place for me that's important too it's very very important not just to be with the best researchers in the world but to be someplace where you can you can be successful where you can feel safe and you can be happy that's important too i think it's important to emphasize that the decal on your degree and the name of your advisor are actually very minor components to what will make you a successful graduate student and scientist. You need to feel, you need to have good mental health, you need to have be supported, and you need to be happy in your life in grad school. And so the culture of the program, your uh, the culture of your lab, and the places where you're living also have huge effects on that and you should take all those into account in making a, your decision absolutely i think that's right i think the whole ranking like weighing out the ranking and stuff like that's not really going to get you anywhere it's really going to be more about conglomerate of of things it's going to be where in the country is it and who are the faculty there what kind of courses are they offering and 
what does the program seem designed to be doing for their students? And like all of that has to weigh in. It feels complicated, but I, I feel like people often get a pretty good sense of what's fitting and what's not fitting. Like even during the interview itself, you can see the students who are really invested, like perking up during the process of the interview, like, oh, wow, this is, I'm hearing what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and there is an opportunity. You have time. I would say if there are feel, things you feel like you don't still don't understand to follow up after the interview. So I, th- there are going to be faculty who, for whatever reason, might not be able to be at the recruiting weekend you're at. And you might be interested. Having a phone call with them could be valuable. Following up with a grad student about culture can be helpful. And so you shouldn't feel like every the only information you can go on is the interview and the interview only although that is obviously your best opportunity to ask many questions and and get a feel for the place well said so we've we've sort of covered the whole process here but i feel like there are at every one of these stages there are things that are sort of an unwritten there's there are unwritten rules what what are some of those things scott well, when it comes to what you wear, biology is a strange discipline in that respect because absolutely all the rules about what to wear are unwritten. And um, as a man in biology, I get such a pass on so many of those rules that uh, I, I'm not even really qualified to talk about it. <laughs> but I will say that we don't expect a high level of formality in interviews. If if you want to wear a suit equivalent, you can do that. It is certainly not expected, and it's not not very common. But I it's not going to count against you. It's not going to count right? against you. Yeah, yeah. So if you dress business casual, you are safe. Yes, yes, and it sometimes is an issue. It sometimes is an issue for very young people who don't have a lot of. Um, dress up clothes and those that they have often tend to be kind of like club clothes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know how to talk about that exactly. Yeah. I, I am. Yeah. I'd really prefer to not be telling women how to dress. Okay. What other, what other things might you, what, what's something that they, that's not, not, not written, not a known thing. I would say don't be cynical or jaded about science when you talk to people about it during your interview, don't you don't want to disparage any particular model system. You don't want to be all um, negative about CRISPR or whatever because it's too cool. Or you know, I mean, <laughs> right. don't, you don't right. need to strike an attitude about areas of science that people are working in because you never know who's working in you them. You should always be excited about plants. Let's let's just stipulate <laughs> yes. that that yes. Well, that's just good <laughs> sense in general. Yes, right. we've talked a lot about toxic cultures on the podcast is there any tips for detecting a toxic culture at a grad program or in a lab that we haven't talked about if people are bragging about how many hours they're working yes that can be it's pitched to you as like we're a hardcore program yeah this is something to admire we're a hardcore program people here work really hard like i work x hours a week that's probably something you want to take a hard 
pass on. Yeah, and definitely any harassment can get out of there for sure. Yes, be very right, right. If, if anything like that happens and you can observe that and you can observe how others react to it, that'll, that's a big warning sign. Can I add one? Please do. Yes, please do. Uh, I would say just come right out and ask for what you want. If you're visiting a school and you're talking to the director of the program or, or a, a student or whoever, and you just say, what are the resources here for queer students? What are the, what uh, what is offered here for Latinx students? You know, whatever right. it is, how uh, easy is it to find affordable housing here, right? On the on the stipend that you get, whatever is on your mind, just ask it. If you're talking to a student, you'll get you'll generally get a straight answer. If you're talking to a faculty member, you'll often get a straight answer, or sometimes you'll get a certain amount of humming and hawing and derailing that'll suggest that they don't know the answer or they don't want to tell you they'll just come out right out and ask you'll hear you'll you'll learn something regardless and and it doesn't harm you as an applicant to say what are the resources here what are what what is the environment like here that's going to support me and allow me to be successful we want students who are thinking about things like that we want students who are thinking ahead to how can I be successful in the long term? Those are the kinds of students who are successful in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it really takes knowing yourself and what you need and want out of the program, I think, to get the most out of the interview process. Right. And that's asking a lot. I'm not sure I was in a position to do much more than sort of have a vague idea about what I wanted, but I feel like, the applicants work we get in, in our program here, which is called PMB, but that's plant and microbial biology. Every year, it seems like they have a better and better sense of themselves, of where they're going, of what they're going to do with their degree. They seem much more capable of asking these questions of themselves. And so then when they come in to interview, they're much more, they're just much more self-aware than I think maybe my generation was. I don't know. What do you do? You feel that same way, Scott? I think we have a lot of students coming in who have a strong sense of what they want to do. For example, we now have students entering graduate school who know from the beginning that they don't want to continue in academic science. They come in with a notion that they want to do a career that requires a PhD, but it is not the professor track. And I think that's increasing. But I, I do want to add, though, that it, that you don't need to know what you want to do with the rest of your life. You don't need to have it figured out whether or not you want to stay in academia or not. And a lot of people change their minds. Even a lot of people who come in knowing the answer to that question end up changing their minds during the course of graduate school. And that's okay. That's okay, too. But I do think it's important to have some kind of sense of what you want from the experience before you start. And it's ideal if you have a sense of what is going to help you succeed because then you can ask for that and i see a lot more early stage researchers asking for asking for what they need which i think is a very positive development it among other things it helps us give them what they need because if they can articulate it then we know what it is and we can go out and try to get it for them well i hope that 
this has been as helpful to students who are actually applying uh, as it has been for me to think about advising students who are actually applying. But this has been a really great conversation. Scott, thank you so much. Can you tell uh, people how they can get in contact with you if they have follow-up comments or questions they wanted to direct at you? Sure. You can email me at my first initial last name. That's sbarolo at umich, U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. And that's also my Twitter handle, if you want to contact me on Twitter, S-B-A-R-O-L-O. It's been great talking to both of you. I really uh, had a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And Liz, how, uh, how can people contact you to follow your steps through grad school? <laughs> they, can, they can follow me on Twitter at, at eHaswell. And you can contact me at Baxter Twee, that's T-W-I. And you can f- follow the podcast at Taproot Podcast. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you. So, we've kicked off the second half of season four, but before we get to any more episodes, there is these things called the holidays, and we're going to take a break for those as well. But we have four awesome episodes lined up for you in January, and we hope you will listen. I like that last part. We hope you will listen. of the American Society of Plant Biologists. Mary Williams is our producer. Editing is done by Katie Rogers, Ivan Baxter, and Liz Haswell. Katie Rogers also helps us with the writing of the blog posts and other social media. Joe Stormer does all of our transcripts. Thank you for listening, and we'll have another episode for you next week. <laughs>